The Incomparable Podcast, number 92, May 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm Jason Snell, your host. And on this edition of The Incomparable, we're going to be talking about the summer blockbuster spectacular uh, written and directed by TV's Joss Whedon. It's The Avengers, a wildly popular movie, rapidly ready to surpass every other movie ever made by anybody except James Cameron as the greatest grossing movie of all time or something like that. Marvel's culmination of years of plotting and planning that began with the uh, little scene that happened at the end of the credits of Iron Man. Uh, The Avengers, big hit this summer uh, to kick off the summer movie season. Here to discuss the matter are my guests, a fine panel, one of the finest ever assembled, in fact. They're like my own little Avengers, if I were Nick Fury. So, hmm, who would be who? That's the question that I have for myself. I'd like to introduce my very own Hawkeye, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Oh, man, I was really rooting for Hawkeye. I'm pretty, I'm pretty psyched. I mean, he doesn't, you know, not a lot of screen time, but I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Um, also joining me is my own Captain America himself, Ben Boychuk. Hi, Ben. Yeah, I kind of wanted to be Iron Man, but hello. <laughs> you actually were a big fan of Iron Man. so Huge, yeah. All right, you can be Iron Man then. How about that? <laughs> Goody! <laughs> You can be Iron Man. Oh, Dan, you could have been Iron Man too. If I just if I just argued for it, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now ben wanted it. I didn't. I would not deprive him of that joy. Now, please welcome the Norse god of thunder, John Syracusa. You know, Jason, when I think of you, I think of Nick Fury. So it's just such such a perfect match. Samuel L. Jackson, Jason Snell. It's just like peanut butter and jelly. The eye yeah. patch. Yeah. <laughs> I would have given John the Hulk because sometimes he gets really angry about things. Well, the secret, Dan, is I'm always it's, angry. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you. I, I soft served that one to you. I know. We, we work as a team. Maybe I should be, uh, what's her name? Uh, Black to, Widow. To your Hawkeye. You want to be Scarlett Johansson? All right. Yeah, cool. uh, I can be Scarlett Johansson to Dan's Hawkeye. Okay. Good times. And now he was a, a mild mannered scientist before he was bombarded with gamma radiation. Don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. It's Andy Anatko. Hi, Andy. Well, actually, if Dan is going to be Hawkeye, can I be Charles Emerson <laughs> Winchester the <III? laughs> No, you I, I've, I've got the Boston accent. I can talk about my sister Honoria. You can if, o- that'll, if that'll help. You can only be Maxwell Q. Klinger. Hmm. That's the, good wardrobe. The Mash podcast is a different night. The Mash episode. No, <laughs> yes, that's next next Thursday. We have the Mash, the after Mash episode. Um, so anyway, we are talking about the Avengers. Uh, Joss Whedon. Uh, Creator of my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and previously had only directed one movie, which was uh, Serenity, the follow-on to the Firefly TV series, which is actually a a, a fine film in its own right. Um, and uh, Marvel gave him the keys and basically said, we have been setting up this ridiculous film that's going to include a billion different characters for years now, and we need somebody to actually make it um, not stink. And they brought in Joss Whedon. To do that. And I think the tenor of the reviews that I read when the movie came out seemed to be very much along the lines of critics saying uh, they dreaded seeing this movie, figuring that it would be a soulless culmination of corporate synergy, and that they were pleasantly surprised that it was funny 
and that it, it you know it it managed to uh, focus on the characters and not just become you know, Spider-Man 3 basically to pick one example or one of the latter day um pre Christopher Nolan Batman movies that's just a complete mess and a disaster you didn't um, like Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze boy that movie was really bad chill out <laughs> that that was really that that and Spider-Man 3 are like the pinnacle of you know more villains more heroes just stick everything in there and i'm sure i'm sure it'll be good and they and they're always terrible and the avengers i think from the outside it seemed like that was a natural guess if you had to guess what was going to come of this movie it was going to be that was a mess and the reason it exists is because uh the people in marvel you know planning said we will make a lot of money let us let's make this movie um and and so a lot of the reviews seem to be it has it's much better than it has any right to be which I think really brings me to to my first question, knowing that Andy has seen it and didn't really like it. Um, you know, it, is is it a good movie fundamentally or is the reaction that people have had, especially the critics have had to the Avengers more that it's not a it's not the disaster that it really could have been? Because that's not a ringing endorsement, right? I I'd argue that it's actually a pretty good movie. And while I think a lot of the criticisms that have been leveled at it have been leveled at the plot, uh, I think that's actually the least important thing here. Because I think no matter <laughs> what the plot, I think no matter what kind of plot they were going to do, it was going to be bad. Like, and we're talking superhero movies here, right? Superhero movie plots are, you know, not really usually of the highest caliber. Uh, and to be fair, superhero comic plots are not really of the highest calendar, right? Like caliber, right? Like, there's clearly very little respect for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't just retcon them every time they felt like it was convenient. So, you know, in that sense, I think, it, you know, the the movie delivered really well on what I was looking forward to, which was to say, let's take these interesting characters, put them in a situation and see how they sort of bounce off each other. And, you know, Joss Whedon's really well suited to that because he's done a lot of work with ensemble cast before. And that was going to be tough with a movie with all these people who had basically carried their own films to varying degrees of success so i think you know it was entertaining and i think the the addition of you know having some humor and some interesting drama and conflict in there i i thought it really it worked really well well whedon you know his 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 history everything he's done has really been an ensemble show in one one way or another and this definitely felt like we were watching a joss whedon uh tv show series you know season-long story arc uh, played out over two and a half hours and he gives everybody their moments and you know in many ways this was a an inspired choice uh for a writer and director in in that sense that he he was able to bring uh some personality and give everybody their moments and make it not seem like a complete mess while also honoring to dan's point the ridiculousness of a superhero team up movie right down very important right down to the part where the superheroes fight each other over a misunderstanding because you've got to have that, right? Always, yeah. And in this case, we get we get Iron Man and Thor um, especially facing off against each other with some... Uh, Which is perfect because geeks are always about, well, who would win who in would a win? fight? That's right. But, well, Captain America would come in and break it up. That's what would happen, clearly. Clearly. He's such a killjoy. Yeah. That's Steve Rogers. I feel kind of like the people who watch Serenity who had no idea what Firefly is because I'm not a big comic book guy. And I, I mean, I guess I know who these people are. Right. But 
if you haven't watched, you know, a, a short 13 episode season of television or some, something to familiarize you with these characters, then the ensemble structure of a movie really hurts the the chances of the movie uh, really landing with the audience in terms of like, oh, it's a serious movie and I really connect with these characters because you just don't have enough screen time to give to each one of them. So Joss is the king of trying to give everyone a little moment. But, you know, the bottom line is it's like a two and a half hour movie and there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of moving parts. And can you really get, you know, seven satisfying story arcs plus, by the way, the overall story arc and, you know, just there's just too many moving parts. You don't have time. You don't have the screen time to develop these guys. So if you if there's a backstory that you buy into or if you've seen all the other movies or whatever, then at least you're coming in with something. But I saw a couple of the other movies or whatever, but, I, I, but I, I'm not particularly familiar with these characters. So all I had to go on was the, the stuff that he provided. So it was, it was. I think I went in expecting it to be a real uphill battle for him to be able to have these many moving pieces in a movie be successful in any way. And I, I came out of it thinking that he did as well as I could imagine he could do to connect to someone like me. Uh, and I guess I, when coming out of this movie, I guess I decided that the thing that really makes me hate a movie is not so much stupid plot in a superhero movie, but like bad writing and bad acting and bad choices. And so basically if you can, if you have okay writing, that's not embarrassingly bad and it's clever in some way, I'm willing to forgive a lot. So <laughs> when, when I came out of this movie, I was like, this is, it's a silly superhero movie, but it didn't like offend me. I didn't come out of it saying, "Oh, that was just terrible," and I can't believe I spent my money on that. I'm like, "Eh, it's fine. It was fun." Like, and I don't think that's the reaction a lot of people are having. And I also imagine maybe if I had seen this as a younger child, it would have wowed me and excited me more. But I came out of it smiling, and then immediately forgot everything about the movie. I would have watched a 13 episode Joss Whedon's uh, Avengers TV series, but it would have been canceled. Yeah, right after uh, after episode. I mean, they, it would have been already aired out of order, would have been in 1974, I don't know. I've seen all of the movies that were in the run-up to The Avengers, with the exception of The Incredible Hulk, which was the Edward Norton, and he was replaced by Mark Ruffalo in, in The Avengers. But I, I, I saw the two Iron Mans and Thor and Captain America, and, you know, I, I think comic book familiarity is not as necessary, but definitely uh, familiarity with those uh, those movies, there, there's little bits, little strands especially from Captain America that very clearly that which Joss Whedon, I think did an uncredited rewrite of um, that, that, uh, that, that drop in here. Um, yeah, I did. I did see that well, one. And I did feel like because I saw that one and because I saw the Iron Man's that those, those guys, I felt like I knew what the heck they were talking about a little bit more. I rewatched all of them with uh, my friend and occasional incomparable panelist, Tony Sindelar, like in the months leading up to the Avengers and they actually, aside from the fact that, you know, they recast the Hulk, um, they actually hang together not that bad. And they just, I just saw this today. There's a timeline there is, that Marvel there, released. There is a timeline. Which which is great because I love the section of it that's like Nick Fury's big week where like <laughs> apparently like four of the movies are happening at the same time. Yeah. Agent Coulson <laughs> has to hop around to like three different locations. They do actually weave them together in, in, the, in the course of those movies, which is impressive. Like there's even a little scene in Iron Man 2 at the end where... Nick Fury's debriefing, you know, Tony Stark. And on the TVs in the background, they're talking about the Hulk rampaging over the college campus, um, which I totally missed the first time around. But it's definitely there. It's very little subtle background thing. Nick Fury, project manager. He is. He has a Gantt chart. 
That is. How will uh, he ever see all those displays with just one eye? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the holographic display technology on the Shield helicarrier is really wasted on Nick Fury. I find. I just my favorite. I don't know who made this tweet, but I just laughed so hard at the. It's a shame he'll never be able to see his own movie in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what? Oh, poor Nick Fury. It's a fake. He has a camera on his on his patch that goes right into his brain, and he can see in 4D. He's that good. He's that awesome. Uh, ben, you you did you see all the movies on the run up to this? Yeah, every single one of them. Uh, and um, I thought it was. I, I thought the Avengers was a, was a was a fine spectacle. I, I um, is it is it a great film? No, is it pretty good. Yeah, my son yeah. loved it. Um, I liked it a lot. I, I wanted to see it again before we before we did this podcast. Didn't get the chance, but uh, I thought you know I, I agree with the comment. You know, if, if you're if you're uh, you know if you're a, a preteen or a teenage boy, I, you know, if, if this if if I were that age now, I I would be head over heels for this uh, for the Avengers. Um, but I thought I thought it worked well. I mean, I thought it was uh, it delivered everything that you wanted, and it was it was fairly smart. Um, about it, and uh, you know, you had you had your great fights, and you had some you had some decent dialogue. My only real complaints about it uh, was um, I thought uh, I thought Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow were sort of um, underdeveloped, and, and Hawkeye in particular was. Uh, uh, um, well, he's a, he's like, like a you know he's possessed for most of the movies. So. Yeah, yeah, right. It's tough. It's tough when you're the two humans in the group full of superheroes, right? Like, yeah, they're the world's best but assassins, a, but, like, it's a little rough. But that's okay, because the Earth is being invaded by aliens who can be taken down by a guy with a bow and arrow set and a woman with a common commercially available handgun. We're covered. Ooh, two handguns, Andy. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, wait a minute. There were cops there, too. If only they'd started firing into the air. Maybe they could have ended this in about two minutes instead of the 20 minutes it took to defeat the entire alien invasion. No skin-tight outfits, Andy. You're forgetting. No skin-tight outfits. She's a much better shot than those cops. She and Shield can create a helicarrier of eight hundred million tons that can hover and three D holographic technology. They cannot develop a zipper that can stay up to the neckline of a female recruit. They can. They don't want to. Ah, the research is the zipper that stays open just the right amount. That's where the hard part. Sure, you can make a zipper that stays totally up or a zipper that falls down. But can you make one that stays in the exact right position? That's the secret. Well, I think they did a nice job with her in that opening scene with her, though. I mean, I don't know. I enjoyed that, the scene where she's being interrogated. That was a very Joss Whedon scene. And then she disappeared for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, the, again, you had to divvy up this time between, you yeah. know, six different characters. So, you know, everybody got a little bit of time, but. But that, that was still another, pro- I have I had a big problem with the Black Widow because she had a common malady in action movies. She had invulnerable female action hero syndrome where we can't really care a damn about this character because it's impossible to land a punch on her. It's impossible for the screenwriter to have her show any amount of vulnerability or to put any challenge before her that she isn't 40% overqualified to handle all, all, all on her own. I mean, think about Ellen Ripley is one of the is, remains as the greatest female action hero, action character in movies because she keeps getting the, the snot kicked out of her, but, kem, but coming back and surmounting it, she keeps having problems that she then has to solve. Black Widow was Melba Toast, just dry and uninteresting. Because how long did that fight sequence with Hawkeye go? Did Hawkeye land one single punch? Was there 
any sort of action ever taken against her that she had to take the blow or in any way get hurt or 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 or, or, or affected that that scene where she's like questioning loki that here i'm thinking this is early in the movie so i still had a lot of faith in it in this flick that it could actually turn out to be pretty good it's like oh man loki's really getting into her head and great this is where we actually find her to be developed as a real character no, it turns out that she was just playing him all along to get the information that she needed. Again, she's absolutely invulnerable. We cannot risk writing a character who that's female and real at the same time. Well, she's terrified when the Hulk appears, though. I mean, that that is she is she is kind of freaked out and 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 extremely vulnerable in those scenes. And we keep coming well, back not, to her. nonsensically, though. I was like that that didn't ring true to me because like, oh, now she's going to be scared. What the heck is she scared of? This is the same woman that was totally not scared and for the rest of the movie in much more dangerous situations. Yeah. Oh, he's turning green I, and my foot is trapped and I'm terrified. It didn't make sense to me. I assume yeah. the reason for that is that they're really trying to get across the fact that the Hulk is not the Hulk is ter- is supposed to be terrifying. He can well, do he's anything. Un- he's uncontrolled. No, yeah, but, but, okay, but but again, this is this belays the incompetence of the screenplay when it, the screenplay needs the Hulk to be an unstoppable, uncontrollable killing machine. He's on the helicarrier now. He's going to tear the whole place apart because he has no focus and no direction. He is just wanton destruction, just as the Hulk is uh, defined as in a classical way. But at the end of the movie, we need the Hulk to not just simply say, "Oh, I'm going to start beating the crap out of these colorful humans that are right next." to me we need him to actually just attack the aliens and do things that are actually intelligent for the hulk to do now that's when the hulk is not a random engine of destruction the hulk is actually controlled somehow by intellect and when what was that thing about the very end after after this whole build-up about how bruce banner can just barely he's training himself to keep the hulk in control and not let him out it turns out that he could have done that anytime he wanted and do it in a very willful fashion now, i'm not saying this necessarily makes absolutely no sense in context for the character but this is a clear case of the screenwriter deciding i want the, i don't care that this is completely inconsistent with everything we've been telling the audience all along at this point we're running out of screen time we need the hulk to do what the screenwriter wants him to do and therefore i'm going to redefine the hulk to do whatever i want him to do see i don't see pointless i'm not i'm not clear on what you're arguing there because the whole idea is that he's keeping the hulk in check um and and at the end he deploys the hulk he has no problem letting the hulk out his problem is keeping the hulk in well, he, he has control over it in the end. The whole threat of the Hulk on the helicarrier was that it, it, when 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 the Hulk got out got out on the helicarrier, did, did the Hulk say, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm here among friends. I should basically sit here quietly, or at least go after this Loki guy that everybody's so upset about?" No, he was wanton engine of destruction who almost killed a fellow team member. At the end of the movie, did he just randomly start punching buildings? Did he randomly attack other members of the Avengers? No, he only went after the aliens, and also. The, the scenes were really shot as though the Hulk had focus and the the, the Hulk had a purpose towards yeah. one target and not the other. You can't simply define him as a random engine of destruction when you need another threat on the helicarrier and then simply redefine him when you just need him as someone who's going to solve this, again, these incredibly intimidating aliens who can be shot by a 9mm gun and brought completely down. Well, that, that was his character arc, but the arc was made up of two points. <laughs> so this is, you ended up with with, a, with 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 no with no line in between. Hey, hey, wait, wait! He had a nice pep talk. He had a nice pep talk from that janitor that saw him crash into a building. Yeah, like it, I mean, it felt like there was seven scenes involving the Hulk that were omitted from the movie. 
Uh, and like I see the character arc they would have liked to have drawn, but they just I guess there just wasn't time to put it in. So you got to establish one thing up front, and then at the end the situation is resolved, and then there's no middle process by which he resolves the situation. Like you, I can fill in the blanks myself by saying like, okay, when the Hulk comes upon him in a rage, he can't control it because it's like an extension of whatever he was feeling at the time he became the Hulk. But if he purposely becomes the Hulk, then the Hulk <laughs> uh, inherits that purpose. And like I can manufacture stuff, but the point is that wasn't in the movie. They don't that's say all. It, yeah. That's all in my head. I have to. I mean, I have to. I have to. I've been, I've, I was listening and trying not to speak much for the first ten or fifteen minutes, but I'll, all I was hearing was, you know, it wasn't as crappy. Everyone thought it was going to be really crappy. It was only mediocre. I didn't. To, I didn't totally hate it. I did. I thought. I thought that for for a comic book movie where we don't expect a good plot, if you don't want, if you don't think a movie needs a plot, you know, it's actually you can actually get it down your throat, okay. And it's 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 it's, it's like going to a seafood restaurant saying, you know what. $2.99 baked clam platter, I really thought I'd be puking my guts out for three days after it. Instead, it was a bland, tasteless, nutritionless meal that I actually was able to eat. My body was able to process. Well, did you see the Spider-Man? Did you see the Spider-Man trailer, though, speaking oh, of that kind of thing? All right, yeah. so now let's compare the two. How The movie that you imagine the new Spider-Man will be compared to the Avengers. Like, you know, it, it is kind of like... It is damning with fate praise to say that it wasn't, uh, you know, that we didn't have great expectations and it wasn't so terrible. But I think expectations do affect how much you enjoy a movie, not so much the, how good the movie actually is, but it affects how much you enjoy it. So if you go in, if you go in expecting dumb entertainment and you get dumb entertainment, you may coming out feeling satisfied. It doesn't change the quality of the movie. Like certainly mm. if you asked everyone on this panel, make your list of your top 500 movies, the Avengers probably wouldn't be on it. Right. <laughs> but it really does depend on how you go in. And like, for example, the, the Spider-Man movie, I don't think there's any way I could watch that and not come out being angry about it because it just looks terrible to me. Yeah, but it does. But this one, I managed to go in and say, I don't expect much. What I got was a few chuckles, got to see some things blow up, and then I left. No, no, no. The, the starting line for the movie begins when the opening credits start or the, the first frame of actual movie. Whatever you expected. And I, I do agree that you go in with certain expectations. I got to admit that my expectations for the first uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie, I love Christopher Nolan. I, I expected it to be a certain minimal level of good. I wasn't expecting it to be fantastic. But by frame one of that movie, that movie was on its own. It's my responsibility as a credible film viewer to simply stop thinking about what I expected it to be and start seeing it as what it actually was. Oh, as a credible it, film critic, sure, but as a viewer, no yeah, viewer. As a viewer, you don't, don't you don't like have a you don't have a. I don't really think that you you can make anybody can make a, a sensible argument about what they liked or didn't like about the movie based on what they thought the movie was going to be. The filmmaker is not responsible for what you thought it was going to be. They're only responsible for what ha what they actually put on the screen. That's the only thing that I'm judging Joss Whedon on. What was actually on the screen? What was actually on the screen was again, it wasn't an awful movie. It was just your basic Transformers two style oh, makes a lot no, of money no, lots of, no, lots no, of flashing no, lights no no of... no no <laughs> i think you need to watch transformers 2 again no not but there was no plot no characterization just flashing lights that lasted for two and a half hours oh i don't i i, I transformers really 2 agree. did not make me even smile once i was checking my i was checking my watch for the last 40 minutes of this movie it was just, i was honestly surprised that i wasn't already home I mean, saying that there's no character development in the Avengers is, I think, I think overstating the case massively because okay. I, you know, what did, I what, did Cap what does Captain America think about Black Widow? I mean, if you what does what does Hawkeye want? Oh, not to be in this movie. Hawkeye was not, the worst part of the movie. Not to be possessed. 
I'm saying I, I don't think we need to necessarily know what the, every single character thinks about every other character. Again, it's a two and a half hour movie with seven main, you know characters who can basically hold their own. Exactly. You you have so much time to develop these things. You can develop these things not just with an not with an entire scene. You can develop these these relationships with one look. Okay. There's just no real conflict. No, no. I'm sorry. No serious conflict between these people, other than okay, you're Captain America. You're the old guy. I'm Iron Man. I'm the new guy. So, oh wait, now we got a common enemy. Now let's go fight the common enemy. I, I think you're being completely unfair. And likening it to the Transformers, I think is actually. I was going to say. I think our. I think the reason that this movie has been popular and has resonated with audiences and that, that it, it, it maintained so much of its box office between the first and second week is that our blockbuster expectations, and yeah, Andy, I will use that word, expectations are so low that so many of these movies are so terrible. And Transformers is a great example. That makes a lot of money. But you know, having seen a couple of those movies, they are, they are so bad. They have no redeeming value. And on, on yeah. such another level of, of terribleness, you know, I, this is not a perfect movie. Also, I'm very confused why you are ripping into this movie to a degree, and yet you said you gave it like a B-. minus. It's like a, So is it, a, is it a D or is it a B, right? Because in my mind, I agree with you that this is a B kind of movie. It is not a fantastic movie, but the dialogue is funny. I think there is interesting character interaction. I think the whole interplay between Tony Stark and, and uh, Banner is uh, really interesting that he he tests him and he off- he kind of offers him a job and they drive off at the end and there's some interest he's the only one Tony Stark is the only one who trusts that Banner is actually going to come back and not run away and that's not a huge story arc but there are little bits that that pull See, you through those characters yeah. you know and I found it that the action was followable in a way that the Transformers movies are are I would say incompetently directed where you can't you actually don't even know where you are or what you're seeing and although the plot is a silly plot in many ways I just I for me this movie succeeds uh at, in so many different ways given the, given the givens of this film which is you've got to stuff seven you know, seven uh, superheroes in it, and and you have no choice in the matter. And, and I realize that that that's knowing that there's a you know a Marvel cabal that's saying, <laughs> Joss Whedon, yeah, you know, here here is your bag of stuff. Make a movie out of this. You know, we don't care what you do, but but this is all you get. Mm. Um, and, and so I, so I, you know, so I think the Transformers comparison is really unfair. I, I think well, it's, you can say that this movie isn't per, isn't far from perfect without saying that it is a a, a soulless. <laughs> box of metal parts (laughs) i i i I found the weak part of the i i i i I, without intending to aimed my dart right at that one hole in your armor that went right to your heart and i apologize for that it's a low blow low (laughs) blow transformers oh i i i stand by that but i apologize for 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 aiming where i should not have aimed but there's here here's why i said it was a b-minus movie and this is this is something that i actually liked about the movie I can easily imagine. I imagine Iron Man three. I imagine Captain America two. I imagine Thor two. I imagine an origin movie for Black Widow and Hawkeye, and and I imagine the next attempt at Marvel to reboot and create a Hulk franchise. And I think Iron Man three. Yes, okay. We'll get back, we'll get into expectations here, but just only as a as a mathematical thing. I'm expecting Iron Man three to have. 26 minutes of good stuff in it. I'm expecting Captain America 2 to have maybe 18 minutes worth of good stuff in it, and so on and so on and so on. And I feel as though this is two and a half, this is like sort of two and a half hour montage of only the good parts of all these five movies that are probably going to get made, but you're probably not going to be terribly interested in seeing. And also, 
when I spend my my eleven bucks or in my case eight bucks for matinee to get in, I it's it's okay to be entertained by flashing lights, good good smashy smashy, really great action sequences, and there are some really fantastic action sequences here, uh, and I think it does deliver on that uh, on that way. I, I think that Roger Ebert really delivered the money quote by saying it is exactly the superhero movie that superhero fans want. It is not the superhero movie that that superhero fans deserve. So decent enough. But, sorry, uh, I mean, isn't that I'm good sorry. enough though? Isn't that good Again, enough? It's good enough for B minus. If you're, but if and I'm not, I'm not responsible for what other people think about this movie. If you, if any, if everybody else thought that was a really good, solid effort, that's fine. I'm not challenging that. I'm only stating my own personal opinion. Right. My fundamental problems with it are that I really do see basic story structure flaws with it because you start off with a problem of. Every single really great action movie, you're always moving towards one goal. And there could be false dawns towards that goal. I mean, Ellen Ripley, his, her goal is to get herself and Newt off of that, off of the planet and to safety. And you think that, okay, good, she's going to make it before the self-destruct sequence ends. All she has to do is cross over here and get to the elevator. Holy crap, she's in the alien queen's nest. We've got a whole new movie now. But, but but the goal is still the same goal. With this one, oh my god, we got Loki is this really incredible badass villain, at least in the first third of the movie. We gotta stop him from opening this portal, they'll bring this massive invasion fleet. Oh wait, he we we screwed that up. Okay, we've got to fight off this massive invasion. Oh wait, no. We have to we have to we have to stop this nuclear missile that's somehow been fired for some reason from hitting Midtown Manhattan. You can't keep changing the end definition of your movie and they've done it three times the other thing is that there's the entire i got to the i was talking about how wonderful a lot of these action sequences are the whole helicarrier in peril sequence fantastic start to finish but then after it of course there's that's the at the end of the sequence in, in any movie it's like now let's give 10 minutes of exposition scenes to let the audience catch their breath so while i'm catching my breath i realized that wow that entire scene was absolutely pointless we could cut that entire sequence, and it's a long sequence, out of the movie, collapse the where it begins and ends, and cut and, and paste those two ends of the movie together. The movie would not be affected. There was no reason for that scene to exist except to have this big action sequence in which the helicarrier is in peril. You don't think there's a sequence in there to actually get the, the people to work together? Because I thought that yeah. was, for me, the big part of that point was that the you know we had people who were at each other's throats before that and actually found a point where hey, we need to work together in order to actually get out of this jam before we all bite it. There's, a, there's already sequence before that and after that that does that. What, what annoyed me is that why they were uncl- the, 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 the script was not agile enough to really explain what Loki was doing aboard the helicarrier. There's some, there's some bits of dialogue that indicate that Loki is on the hel- helicarrier because he got full of himself and full of ego, and he didn't realize that he was in danger of being captured. There is other dialogue that, that indicated that, no, this is part of his plan so that he could be on the helicarrier influencing events, and then there would be a big power moment that he could uh, incite from inside the helicarrier at the end i again in, in that moment after the, those moments after the scene i'm thinking there really is no reason for loki to put himself on board the helicarrier and if i'm confused as to why that whole sequence existed or why loki wound up on board that way why he decided to stick around like that that's got I, I feel as though I'm a careful enough viewer that that's the fault of the screenplay. I'm will, I'm willing to stick my neck out and say that no, it's not because I wasn't paying attention. It was because I think that's a flaw in the screenplay. 
And I'll, I won't go to other things that I think are just basically wrong with the way this, this movie is structured, but it's just such fundamental problems that I think would have been eliminated and conceptually speaking would have been eliminated in a, in a preliminary draft of the screenplay where you're looking at that big wall of, of note cards saying, oh, great sequence, great sequence, great sequence, great sequence. Yeah, but unfortunately, this is not necessary. We can't really justify how that happens. So we either have to create that justification or we have to remove these scenes. That's why I was saying that I felt it was a really great storyboard, but with no story so so uh john syracusa uh i'd like to congratulate you you are not the most negative person on the podcast this week well well, here let's well (laughs) hang on a second because there's only one thing that i really disagree with andy about like everything he said that's bad about the movie he's right these are things that are bad about the movie that where where i part ways with him i think is is the idea that i guess we're doing two different things here i I would give this movie a c or a c minus uh but i would give my experience of watching the movie a b plus and I'm separating, like, how good is this movie in terms of did you make a good movie versus how much did I enjoy? I mean, we, we've all enjoyed terrible movies. Sometimes you can enjoy them because they're terrible. And part of my enjoyment of this was because, like, I'm enjoying the schlockiness and the silliness of it. But <laughs> these flaws that he's pointing out in the movie are real. Like, everything he said about why the heck is Loki there and it's confusing. And there was lots of flabby part at the end where they're flying around with these aliens who we don't care about. And it's like, it, it just, yeah, but, but. My experience of watching the movie, this is what I was getting about with expectations. Like, I'm paying money to be entertained for a short period of time, and I'm able to separate how good a movie is it versus how much did I enjoy my night out going to watch this movie. You know what I mean? Uh, and so everything that he said about the movie, yeah. I agree with. Now, here's my my attempt to to uh, get, get inside Andy's head is that I know I happen to know that Andy does read comic books. And <laughs> probably from his perspective, since he knows these characters – probably thinks they deserved a lot better than they got and i can relate to that like where you know there's a property that you take seriously or have derived great enjoyment of and someone makes some schlocky movie out of it and you get angry about it because you're like Mm. you know those these guys like they don't deserve to be in a stupid schlocky movie it's as if like for example someone took i don't know lord of the rings and made some silly schlocky summer action movie we're gonna get the ring but i mean some may argue that they actually did that but like you know i don't pick pick (laughs) pick another property that you know and you know, part of I would be, or you know, or the Star Wars prequels for that matter. Like, there's some property that you feel like deserves respect. Like, for example, if you're big, if you're a big Batman fan, and you go to Batman Begins, you're like, yeah, that's that's what you should be doing with Batman. But if you go to Batman and Robin, and someone comes out of Batman and Robin and goes, nah, I expected it to be crap, and it was, and I enjoyed myself. You get mad at that person because, like, what do you mean you enjoyed Batman and Robin? Don't they okay. understand the true nature of the Dark Knight? And you know, <laughs> I, I I I can address that. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of something that Jerry Seinfeld used to say when people would ask him, well, do, or do you get like lots of fans of the Seinfeld show to your stand-up act? And th- does that help them like on your side? And he said, that gets me on my side for the first five minutes. But after that, I'm totally on my own there. They become like a normal audience again. And I, I have to there. I, I've seen like for, when I saw the Watchmen movie. They had me for the first – well, okay, that's probably a bad example because the, the first, first scene. five minutes is just a – as a mini movie in and of itself is a wonderful, wonderful piece of art. But what I'm getting at is that uh, it didn't take very long before I sort of drop away everything that I know about comics and everything that I'm hoping this to be. I mean I'm not, I'm not 12 years old. I'm not thinking, oh my god, it's Rorschach and he's walking and talking. This is awesome. It's, it's, it, it really does uh, go a different way. The, the only – I'll say one thing. My only – real comic book geek reaction to this whole movie was 
I really like Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury because this is the first time in any Marvel-related anything that I've seen Nick Fury look like Samuel L. Jackson, where I didn't immediately think, what a piece of crap. This lazy artist who didn't want to draw a head of an espionage agency and actually engage the reader into thinking, uh, investing in this character, I know... I know this famous movie character that looks like a badass. I know if I draw this character to look exactly like him, they'll automatically think of him as a badass. I don't have to actually write anything. This is awesome. So that was the that was really the the beginning and the end, the only bit of it where I had my comic book reader uh, brain uh, engaged, and uh, I, I spent the entire two and a half mo- two and a half hours in this movie as a movie viewer. Well, I, I kind of want to go back to something that Andy said about food. Um, you know, the, 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 the oyster plates and the empty calories. And, and, and um, you go to a place, you go to, I don't know, name a chain. Um, think of, I don't know, Applebee's. Uh, terrible, terrible. Just, you know, but, but you know kind of what you're getting. Um, uh, then you also, know, um, you also know that if you're going to a... Uh, a place like uh, a- any sort of upscale restaurant, you just you just you just know. And so, with, with respect to the uh, with respect to this film uh, as a film, uh, you know what you expect from from the Avengers or from any of these Marvel properties is spectacle. Um, that's what you're expecting. I I, I never uh, expected. Um, I never expected. Uh, I don't know, Goodfellas or something. I was just thinking of, I mean, the films that that I love. I mean, like uh, Brazil or something. I, I didn't. I've never expected anything like that from any of these films. Um, the only things that have come close to that are uh, the um, the Nolan Batman movies, maybe, and uh, one of one of your favorite films, Jason, uh, and mine, uh, The Incredibles. Um, but um, I, I. I went to the Avengers thinking um, this it's going to be cool to see mid Midtown Manhattan laid to waste didn't, <laughs> and you don't have to worry about who the aliens are it's just going to be cool to see um, you know mass destruction uh, done up in in beautiful uh, CGI uh, the, you know the kind of thing that you you got every month uh, back in the 70s and 80s when when I was you know reading the Avengers and Iron Man and and, and those books. Um, that's, that's what I wanted. And that's what I got. I got a spectacle and, and, um, and some funny dialogue, which, yeah. you know, yeah, well, sure if helps. you just wanted spectacle, you would have liked Transformers too. But like, I, I think mm. Andy's complaint and, and my complaint and anyone who thinks this movie isn't a great movie is that we didn't even get Die Hard, where it's like a straight through yeah. action movie with some sort of like, you can do a silly action movie and not have these <laughs> just big gaping plot holes and wasted characters and uncompleted story arcs. And it, like, it can be done. Uh, you know, so that's now okay. So can can it be done if the givens are that we've set up two Iron Man movies, and a Hulk movie, a Captain America movie, and a Thor yeah, movie, no. and you have to take these characters and you have to base it on the Avengers comic books to some degree, and you know, and we've we've set up the the cosmic cube, and we've set up Loki, and then and it, it, I mean, so that's one of one of my questions, and I realize it doesn't make the movie better or worse based on the degree of difficulty, but I'm not convinced that a movie like Die Hard could possibly have come out of the the givens 
No, because uh, yeah. you're not comparing to Die Hard here. You're comparing to The Expendables, right? Like you're comparing <laughs> to a movie that's full of like you know a bunch of different guys. That's essentially a different movie. Die Hard is not an ensemble movie. Die Hard is a one guy versus one bad guy movie. Can't you imagine a better movie with these same characters and constraints? I can certainly imagine a better movie with these same characters and constraints. Because really? as Andy pointed out, there's parts of the movie okay. that like. You know, there's, there was flab, and there's there's parts that didn't make sense, and it does, it takes less time to make things make sense sometimes. It, it it could have been fixed up, right? I mean, you could even argue that since this is a writer-director, which we don't usually see in a big movie like this, uh, at this level, that they gave him the keys, uh, you could argue that um, he didn't have somebody saying... Uh, you need to clear. You need to clear this up. They just sort of went with it. And of course, his shame is that he made a movie that made a you know gazillion dollars. <laughs> but I think you could argue that maybe this movie could have been better as certainly could have been better as is if some stuff was clearer and some character relationships were clearer. I, I actually think that a lot of Andy's complaints about like why Loki's not on the helicarrier. I think they actually are addressed in the movie. I just don't think they're addressed. Clearly yeah, enough for well, you to yeah. notice them without studying it, at which point, you know, you're no longer enjoying a movie. You're studying a screenplay. I mean, again, we're talking about a guy who specializes in TV shows. So, you know, a guy <laughs> who works with 13 hours of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Again, I I'm, and I am sure that there is plenty of stuff that was also cut out of this movie. Right. I mean, I, I think I heard him reference the fact that they had some stuff with uh, with the love interest from Captain America, but decided, you know, that just doesn't. Doesn't fit in the film. Doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that would have been one more appendage to att- attach it to this been, movie. Three that's hours. absolutely true. But but at the same time, you know, if you watch Captain America, right, like you kind of find yourself wondering, well, you know, that movie ends literally with the last line being him. You know, that's what Captain America writing. Two is for. Yeah, I found myself. I found myself wondering about Captain America a lot in this movie. Like, why is he there at all? Mm. What is he doing exactly? You know, could they have gotten a janitor to pull that lever? <laughs> I, I, I should I should correct myself. There were two things that kind of put me back in a comic book viewer mode. And the, the second thing was this. I, I, have, I went through this with uh, the Captain America movie, too. I really think that you totally misunderstand the character and totally screw up the character if you make him superhuman in any way. That the the, the whole the, what makes Captain America such a great character is that all that all that that World War Two uh, mad science it just brought him to the pinnacle of human of human potential. Right. It didn't give him any. He's still like a vulnerable guy who can't jump twenty feet. He can't catch up to a speeding car. He's he's got this really kick ass uh, kick ass shield that's very very useful. Also very very useful that if he gets thrown into thrown into the Antarctic, he will he will go into hibernation. You can revive him. Also very useful. But every time there was a Oh God! So he's punching through the punching bag, and now he's just lifting a new one up with one hand. Okay, but that—that's that, not something that I faulted the movie for. But I—I I just had to correct that <laughs> for something earlier. But 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 there's 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 another really important point that I that I also feel like needs to be made. I don't really demand even that a movie be perfect and have no plot holes. No more than I demand that a magician on stage never palm a card and never, uh, never. Th- th- there's never, never point in the act where if I'm actually looking at his left hand, I can't, uh, I can actually see him doing the move that makes the trick work earlier, early in the in, in the trick. Though the true magic is making sure you're not looking at that hand to see the flaw or see like the giveaway for it. 
a great movie. I have to like a. I I didn't understand uh, the Usual Suspects the first time I watched it, but man, it was so engaging. I wanted to watch it a second and a third and a fourth fourth time. Uh, there are other movies where there are just huge plot holes that didn't even occur to me until the second or third or fourth time I watched it. And I didn't watch them four times because uh, because I'm an obsessed fan. It's because, man, this is such a good movie. I want to see it again. So uh, added to the list of crimes in The Avengers is that it just wasn't a good enough movie huh. that I didn't notice all the things that were wrong with it the first time. I, I Honestly, I almost uh, – it's – I, I met. I felt as though I, I I was home from this movie about thirty minutes before it ended, because I was just I, I, I was bored about halfway through. About twenty minutes or thirty minutes after that, I was actually starting to laugh at some of the absurdities I was seeing on the screen. It was uh, again a, a, a good movie. A good movie hides its flaws by just being so captivating and bringing you into its world so much that you don't even you you're, you're just being the magician is telling you don't look at my left hand why would you want to look at my left hand there's nothing interesting happening in my left hand you want to be looking at my right hand and Josh Whedon was absolutely unable to do that for for two and a half hours maybe I got hawkeyed by this movie then because I felt like I was totally immersed in it and okay. didn't pick up on a lot of these things and you know I agree. I, we can we can chalk that Me down too. to different different expectations and different you know perceptions of it but you know i and there's stuff you bring up now and you're you're right you're absolutely right there are valid plot points and issues to be made there i guess for me it comes down to did it matter to me in terms of coming out of that movie and feeling like i enjoyed it i mean and you can draw a line and say there are movies you know should we expect all movies to be you know critically excellent as well as enjoyable or can we you know judge these things on different scales i mean and as john pointed out i think you know Something like Die Hard or, you know, something like Batman Begins. Yeah, I think there's stuff that crosses over a little bit that can go from being, you know, can be both enjoyable and critically excellent. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you come out of the movie mm. and feel like, you know, hey, I enjoyed that two and a half hours, then does it matter if the plot is really nonsensical? That's well, that, that well, that, that's, def- that's definitely something. If you, if you come out thinking you had a great experience, that's and that that is really the, the the whole point. Also, I believe that it's not necessary that any one type of movie or any one movie is better than the rest. I feel as though there is a le- regardless of how you get to the end credits, there are some movies that just achieve a flawless victory. And to say that Raiders of the Lost Ark is not as good a movie as The Third Man, uh, and it's, uh, or not as good a movie as Yojimbo, or not as good a movie as Annie Hall, because they are totally different movies, that's I don't I I, I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, the point is that when you get to that end of the movie, did you have just uh, there there's there's some movies that don't just satisfy you with. By the time I got to the, I, I felt as though by the time I left the theater, I'd got my eleven dollars worth. There are some movies that really go beyond that, and they just stick sure. with you. I mean, that yeah, there, well, there's a, there's 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 a scene in the Abyss that I probably think about at least once a month since the first time I saw that movie. I mean, we're not going to get we, you know, John and I can get four hours out of any Star Wars movie. We're probably not ah. going to get four hours out of <laughs> Avengers discussion. So absolutely, I don't know the rate we're going. Uh, so so, but I would I did want to say, you know, movies. And I'm not saying this is the case with with Andy and the Avengers, but movies hit you in different ways. I, I have had movies that I have seen in certain circumstances, whether it's at home or in a theater, that have hit me perfectly, and I've enjoyed the experience so much. And I watch it back later, and I realize that it's got flaws, and it, it, it the magic is gone. And I've also had movies that everybody liked that I hated, and I've revisited later and gone, "Oh, this isn't so bad," you know. And 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 so I think sometimes. It is about uh, you know your 
whether it's the point of view, you can't escape the hype either. You know, the, the, you, you don't ever see a movie out of any context of it. And, and so, you know, for me, I went in having heard the good reviews and having seen the other movies. I enjoyed the movie, although I, I could list flaws that I found while I was sitting there, including I actually think that the last part, I, I really enjoyed the last half. I, I, I thought the first half, the building that they did uh, was was too slow. I, I, I disliked the first 45 minutes, but I came out having had a great time and and actually wanting to see it again, which is completely opposed to Andy's reaction to it. And I think that's interesting because I don't think um, on the details of the criticism of the flaws of the movie, we're that far apart. Uh, there are the Transformers business is beyond the pale, but, but other than that, um, <laughs> but um, and yet, right. And, and yet, yet Andy is walking away with a very different set of feelings about it than, than I was. And I, you know, and I, I'm not a gigantic lifelong Avengers fan and I've seen the other Marvel movies and some of them were good and some of them were okay. And yet I, I came out of it and I, and I do love Joss Whedon's work, except for Dollhouse, which I thought was terrible. But um, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it, and I would see it, and would see it again. And I haven't seen a movie twice in the theater since uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Actually, it's been a, it's been a while, and I would go see this movie again because I did enjoy it. So I, I, you know, I think, and then Dan, I mean, and and Ben seem to be certainly in that same boat. I find that fascinating that we could, in some ways, agree on the specifics of the flaws of the movie and yet wildly disagree on whether we thought the movie was enjoyable. And I don't, you know, I don't really know how to quantify that, you know, about why you don't know that it's something can be reconciled. I think it's a very subjective thing at that point. And we can, we can agree or just, you know, we can agree to a certain extent on an objectiveness about whether or not this movie, you know, is kind of a critically excellent movie. Let's put it that way. Um, and yet differ, you know, subjectively on whether or not we enjoyed it. And I think that, you know, that's fine. Yeah. There's room for, there's room for everybody. Oh, yeah, ex- exactly. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely not challenging anybody's claim that they, en- <laughs> I was about to say anybody's, anybody's not claim enjoy that, that they enjoyed You hated it. it. Stop I was, lying. Exactly. So, I mean, I, 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 I certainly think it's possible. It's an enjoyable movie. <laughs> you mean, you mean capable of being enjoyed by someone? Is that what you I mean am, by an enjoyable I, 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 movie? I approve of, I will not, <laughs> I, I, I will, I will say, Jason, you're, you're in a circle of friends here. Nothing can happen here that you don't want to happen. We just want to go around the room. If you could just be quiet for 20 minutes and talk about how your fandom of Joss Whedon has affected each of us in our lives in turn. And after the, after we're done talking, we're going to give you two options and we hope you choose the right one but it's completely in your time now who wants to start well i found the black widow is very much like buffy and i've written an essay <laughs> about how what she means to me and and how the feminism is espoused but no <laughs> you failed to see the parallels between buffy and the love boat where sometimes they had good episodes but other I saw episodes them, were very very bad i did not fail to see them <laughs> Uh, Jason, again, I thought we all agree that you'd be quiet and just let everyone speak in turn again. Well, as the host, I really can. This is my therapy session. I am the therapist here, not you and not go. Damn you. This isn't a podcast, Jason. This is an intervention. Joss Whedon is on what you you, you neglected you did, in pursuing this lifestyle. You neglected to factor in the fact that Joss Whedon is unfortunately a television producer and therefore has not not no soul, but less soul no. than a novelist or some or a movie screenwriter would have. Okay, I want to I want to um, step away from the uh, overarching uh, 
view of the movie and why Andy dislikes it and why Andy is horribly wrong. No. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to I talk about the characters a little bit more. and I, uh, Specifically, what I wanted to bring up is the Hulk. Uh, because the Hulk has had, you know, we all of us got to see Bill Bixby as 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 uh children on cbs he was on the run from a crusading newspaper reporter they don't have those anymore um and he would be angry and he'd turn into lou ferrigno well not all of us jason sorry (laughs) sorry dan all of us who are not 10 years old uh anyway that was the first place many of many americans saw the hulk and then we've seen two movies ang lee's hulk with eric banna and and then the ed norton Mm. the edward norton hulk incredible hulk and now we've got Mark Ruffalo as Banner and uh, a Ruffalo-esque CGI blob as the Hulk. <laughs> and I – so so here here's the thing. I think the Hulk is a really problematic character. Yes. I think um, – uh, uh, my, my Actually, my, my um, high school girlfriend is, is married to the world's largest, um, you know, like super fan of the Incredible Hulk. He's like – Mr. Hulk guy, and I never, I don't, I don't understand how I, you're a fan I know. of the Hulk. I, I and it always baffled me. It's because, like being a fan of anger or or a tornado, right? Well, so I guess anybody who listens to John's podcast <laughs> is probably a fan of the Hulk, right? So, so, so this is the thing. I liked how Banner and the Hulk were handled in the Avengers. I think this is one of the things that this movie did a pretty good job of because we've seen the Hulk botched. Uh, yes. a lot lately and i thought that banner was an interesting character when when scarlett johansson goes to get him and then when he's on the helicarrier and he's talking to tony stark and he's got you know the, the, they have that interesting interaction which i talked about earlier and that the the hulk too is not just a tornado and we can we can argue about why he's not always that way but he has some great moments including the I think applause moment in the movie where he gets listens to Loki's speech and then <laughs> just uses him like a rag doll, just smashes him around. Um, I I thought this movie was the best take on the Hulk I've seen maybe ever, only because I feel like everybody else had no idea how to use the Hulk, and, well, and, and because the Hulk in and of itself is not an interesting, not that character. interesting. No, Banner, Banner yeah. as a person is is I think far more interesting, especially if he's just a rage monster who just goes Rah! and bashes things in and doesn't even talk. Right, right. He's, there's no motivation there. There's no complexity. There's no. I mean, the struggle of him not to Hulk out is the interesting part of that character, right? Um, and I think they gave Ruffalo more to do than they did in either the Norton or Bonner versions, which were defined solely by the fact that he's on the run, right? He's on the defensive. And this time, they actually gave him something, stuff to do that felt proactive. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. He he rang much more interesting here to me than he did in either of the prior two movies. Yeah, I, I think I think the secret is that the Hulk really doesn't work as a starring character for all the reasons that you mentioned. He works very, very good as yeah. a supporting character or when he is simply that presence where imagine uh, that uh, – uh, imagine that 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 tornado movie from about seven or eight years ago, uh, where where the entire movie was about the tornado, as opposed to everybody who the meteorologist who's tracking the tornado, the village Twister. The, 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 Twister, thank you very much. With Helen Hunt. Like, with Helen. With Helen fine, Hunt. Back, but, fine. No, 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 ter- just, terrible. Terrible movie. Yeah. Exactly. But 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 in terms of developing a story, you can't. You you. It's hard to do a whole movie about that where the central character is the Hulk. You can do a very good character if. 
he is this presence. He, he, uh, uh, okay, better, better, better example with a better movie. Imagine Jaws, but the entire movie was from the perspective of the shark. It shouldn't be about the shark. It should be about all the the, the problems that the shark represents. The Hulk is the villain in some ways, right? Yeah, if, if, or the antagonist, but, if you would like, to, if you prefer a little less pejorative. Well, and he he's he's supremely. I mean, in in a, in a a genre with superheroes where everybody is supremely powerful and they they fight, uh, you know when they're cranky but they all come together and they the, the villain has is is all powerful and undefeatable and then is easily defeated right in the, in this whole genre of that what the hulk is interesting about uh, the hulk feels uncontrollable and you don't know what he's going to do and he he actually in, injects a a level of that that you don't get from other superheroes that are kind of more boring that the hulk is this you know, uncontrollable. He's a, he's a force of nature. undefined. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's great. But he's not really a character. And and he and and to Andy's point, is not a lead in any way, shape, or form. And so the way he's deployed in the Avengers, in some ways, it's brilliant. You know, because he has all of these other things going on, and then the Hulk just needs to do his little Hulk bit, which he does really well. <laughs> yeah, Mark Mark Ruffalo was the best banner that I've seen in. And anything, I guess. Oh yeah, he's got that kind of rumpled. Like yeah, he, you believe yeah. he's a scientist, right? You believe he's a genius scientist, which is what Danner is supposed to be. And you believe he's sad about this situation. <laughs> yeah, more than anything else, I think you believe that he is working very, very hard every second of his life, never to let his emotions get out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, and I, you know, he I can't like have Norton highs or lows. And and Bonna, to a certain extent, as actors, but yeah, those movies. Did not they didn't really do a good job of of that character it never of the banner character anyways for me but like you know what hulk was what what bruce banner was asked to do in this movie was mostly dumb with a you know gamma rays find the blah yeah, whatever like that was that was stupid like but i wanted the character who i wanted to see more of is i haven't seen the thor movie and i thought he was amusing and so i think i'm now going to watch the thor movie because i think it will be funny whether it's intentionally funny or not uh, and uh, Iron Man, it's actually I like, not bad, and and it is funny, and uh, it is, is actually not a bad movie. Yeah. Tony Stark is always amusing, just because you know Robert Downey Jr. is charismatic, and you know that's silly and stuff. I don't think I don't take that that seriously, and I don't take Iron Man himself that seriously, but I think that's funny. And the, but Mark Ruffalo, I'm like, boy, I, I, I when I saw this, I thought he was the one who was in that Hulk movie that I didn't see, and I was kind of sad to find that it was Ed Norton. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he could. I think he could actually. You're saying you can't make the Hulk a main character. You can do it probably like, uh, like a vampire movie where the vampire is trying not to drink other people's blood, or like like he's trying to <laughs> contain you know you know the, where the struggle is between the main character who has this beast within him, or a werewolf movie where he's like, oh, I don't want to change into the werewolf. The werewolf isn't a character in a werewolf movie, but if you sympathize with the poor guy who's who's changing into a werewolf, or maybe changing into a werewolf like American Werewolf in London or something, you can do a good Hulk movie, and it's not about the Hulk any more than American Werewolf in London is about the werewolf, but the guy is the werewolf and. You know, Banner is the Hulk. If only if Joss, if only Joss Whedon had done a show about a vampire who doesn't like to drink. Yeah, know. they could have done crazy. something. Vampire. Well, vampires aren't crazy rage monsters, and, stuff. No, and, no. and like, and that arc, you could do a movie with right. that arc. Like in the beginning of the movie, he's a rage monster, and then Banner learns to control him, and actually ends up using this thing about himself that he hates to do to save someone he loves. This Avengers was not that movie, but you can imagine that movie existing, right? And I think that would be a a good movie. Not with the Hulk as lead character, but involving the Hulk. Well, I like I like the arc that, um, and again, it may be an arc that is two points, and you have to sort of 
there might be a third point, but that that um, Banner has in the sense that he's brought in kind of not on his own by the Black Widow and her entire Shield task force. And when he wakes up in, you know, on the beach and I don't know where he is, like is he in Coney Island or I mean, he's in New Jersey somewhere. He's not in New York yet uh, when he after he's dropped off the helicarrier and, um, you know, he could just walk away to that music from the Incredible Hulk TV series. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> as da, 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 right. <laughs> he's walking over the bridge and he, we never see him again. Look it up, Dan. And 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 Tony Stark's the only one who's like, "Where's Banner?" And everybody's like, Shh, "Banner, he's not coming back. Are you kidding?" Because they've written, he's a monster, and he's no, he's not controllable, and they've written him off. And Tony Stark's like, "No, no, he's going to come back." Not a hero, back. right? Right. Like that's the unlike the rest. And of and he does. So 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 I like that where it's like that is that moment where Banner is taking some responsibility. He has a little bit of a a path that he walks down, and and for for a character. I don't know. For the Hulk, I, I I was happy that the Hulk got a little bit of that attention because the Hulk is so mis so easily mishandled uh, and for lots of good reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. That, that was that was another minor point. I I I think this was I had already crossed over the point of being bored with this movie, so maybe my my immediate reaction to that scene was suspect. But when Harry that the Harry Dean Stanton type guy was it Harry Dean Stanton who finds it him? was yeah, yes. I think it was yeah inexplicably Harry Dean Stanton. He's looking old. He's got a glowing object in the trunk of his car, too. I, I really wanted Banner to say, wow, that was intense. <laughs> That's Harry says, <laughs> Hulkbusters are always intense. But it's like, you know, it's, it's like I, I would like to think that someone who took the screenwriting more seriously would find a reason for the guy to not react as though, yep, you're about, well, yesterday we had an enormous hulking blue guy. I always keep a change of clothes on hand in case the guy who crashes through the roof from an improbable height needs to come naked because about three of the five, or not all of them come down naked. There was a guy who had the blue trunks on and I gave him a, a cocoa, I think I gave him here. I don't know why they keep crashing in and here, but you know, oh, hat you know i get paid the same whether i help a naked guy who came crashing in through the roof from an improbable height or not <laughs> they call me old muley you know what there's a reason why just why it was uh that was an odd odd scene i i i, I cannot explain i sat there thinking why and why harry dean stanton i, I guess why not well, yeah. oh my god it's harry dean stanton <laughs> well because 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 he, make, he makes every movie more awesome that's just smart sure Sure. I'll give you that. Um, uh, So, Andy, speaking of your frame of mind, um, and I know John has a story about something odd that happened in the theater when he was watching this. I'm now picturing that you went down to the front of the theater with a a couple of cardboard uh, foldable um, robots and just began MST3King the movie (laughs) as it unspooled just to get to get it out. Um, but John, can you, t- can you tell the story of the person who was sitting next to your wife in the movie theater? Cause that's just bizarre. It, it was bizarre. It was very bizarre to me. So the person sitting, I, sitting next to my wife, I was sitting next to her. Uh, she was sketching with colored pencils on a pad oh God, from yes. the, from the start <laughs> of the movie. Like, not like she took it out halfway through when she got bored, but from the start of the movie, sketching with colored pencils on a pad with a flashlight so she could see the pad because it's not backlit. Uh, and she was not drawing pictures of the Avengers, but what she was doing was a lot of shading with a shh, shh, shh. And that, that boggles my mind, because it wasn't a little kid dragged there by her parents, didn't appear to be a girl there with a boyfriend or other significant other. I I don't understand why she was in the theater, because why do you go to a movie theater and draw unrelated things 
on a pad with a flashlight. <laughs> was it was, was it really warm that day? Maybe she just wanted to get in the air. Uh, no, it was it was exactly. it was a, a night show. There was a Red Sox game, so it was down in the Fenway Theater. I it was a, very strange to me, and it didn't bother me because I couldn't hear the shading, or it didn't you know it wasn't like <laughs> I wasn't like oh this is, I got you know. But my wife was next to her and kept asking her to stop, and she would like put the light away for a second, then try to cover up the light and, and draw some more. I was like. Why are you in the movie theater? Why did you pay $11 to be sitting here to be drawing on your sketch pad? Maybe, maybe you were the subject of some sort of experiment, John. Let's yeah, see no, if this I, guy hulks out. And, and no, if, if it was actually person. bothering me, I would have been much more rude about it, and I would have uh, been very annoyed if this was a movie. Like th- this, this is a question I was going to ask everybody earlier. Who, who is going to see this movie again? Jason already said he would. Dan? Uh, I'll probably catch it on, on rental when it comes out. I, I'd like to see it again on the big screen. Yeah, if I could take my my, I want to show my kids a couple more of the Marvel movies, and then I think uh, if it's still playing, we'll take them. And I'm assuming Andy is not going to see this again, even if it's like even, <laughs> even if it's on TV. Andy. He needs detailed notes. I'll, he I'll, more I'll, notes. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, if if a group of friends were going and invited me along, I would go, and I would be very I would be quiet for the two and a half hours. I would probably bring a sketch pad and a little, little pad, flashlight. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like on your own, it, uh, on your own. Are you see, gonna... it's, it's, it's not it's not like it's not like Sex in the City too. I don't feel as though I've been emotionally scarred by the experience of seeing this movie. <laughs> oh, I, I just thought it was that. a mediocre movie. That's well, all. like but like if it was, would you? Ne- Netflix it would you like say you're bored some night you're like oh I'm gonna watch a movie tonight and you oh this came out of Netflix I imagine it's actually on streaming would you stream it would you watch it on maybe, TV yes m- yes maybe see this this is a this is a quirk of mine in which when I see a movie I don't like the, the, my, my my second favorite kind of movie behind the movies that I legitimately like are the ones where I just see lots of flaws in them because I feel as though if I keep watching it I will understand what specifically I didn't like about it uh, and so when it comes to streaming, and I won't, be, I won't be doing it in a snarky sort of way or a smug way, I really want to see it again at a later date when I'm removed from my first experience with it. I want to I'm, – I'm, I'm writing a blog post tonight because after my tweet, I got a lot of questions about – a lot of reactions and people who were really interested in like exactly why I didn't like it. So I, 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 in, in two or three months' time, I, I really want to look back at that blog piece and see – was I on the money, or is there something here that I just didn't see the first time? So yeah, I, I definitely will see it a second time. I, I don't think I'm ever going to see this movie again unless I, I you won't know, pay my to see son, it again. my son gets older. No, I mean like even if I don't, I don't think I'll Netflix it. If it was on TV, I don't think I would watch it unless I was trying to show it to my son because I think you know for a 12 year old, you know, once he becomes 12 and maybe he wants to see that. But like, and I don't think, and, and again, I enjoyed the experience of watching this movie. It's just not one of those movies that I ever really have an urge. To, to watch a second time. And there's a whole whole bunch of movies that fall into this category. Some movies, after you see it, like, I've got to see that again. And some, mm. like, here's an example that will probably be controversial. I don't think I'm ever going to see Inception again. I saw it once in the theater. Oh. I was like, meh. And, like, I'm never going to watch that movie again. You know, if it was on TV, I would not say, ooh, Inception, let me watch it again. I, I You know, I don't know if, if that speaks to... Uh, that I'm compartmentalizing these movies that don't connect or it just didn't connect with me or I, I feel like there's nothing else I can get out of it or that, that it can only be downhill from there. But that's that's how I felt about the Avengers. I might watch Inception again only because it got so much praise and I um, <laughs> to better hate it. Now. <laughs> and I found well, I found it. um I found it really worthy of analysis because I thought about it a lot for days afterward. But the. the in the end, I decided that I really didn't like it. <laughs> so if I watched it again, it would be like, did, so was I just in a bad mood? Because everybody else seemed to like it, and I decided I hated uh, it. 
but I, I may also just say, why would I inflict this movie on myself a second time? Well, I think I understand why people like Inception. In the same way, I think I understand why people like The Avengers. And in some respects, I understand why people like The Transformers. Uh, it, you know, I, but I just I, I look down at the people who uh, like The Transformers. And I guess I'm one of the people who was able to unironically enjoy the, the goofiness of The Avengers and then say, OK, well, I saw that movie. You know, it was a it was a it's. It's a summer blockbuster silly movie. You know, I I will be much more angry if the next Dark Knight movie is awful. And in fact, I'm getting increasingly angry about the Dark Knight, which because as as I feel that Batman Begin was so much better movie, and like the so much the, the flaws in the Dark Knight. When I came out of it, I was like, yeah, I had these problems, but and like the more it just like sits with me, and I've seen it a second time, I'm like. Man, this is not as good as Batman Begins. What happened here? Why does everybody like this movie? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Heath Ledger's good in it, but yeah, don't keep watching movie. it. I think every time you watch The Dark Knight, it gets worse. Wow, I've only seen it. I've only seen it the once because that—that's a movie I really don't want to see again. Actually, I'm, I'm planning to rewatch that and Batman Begins before the next one comes out. This is how I do things now. Just do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen Inception two or three times. I don't I I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's a really good movie. Uh, it, it's. I think it has basic flaws that it just can't get around. You really have to start a movie like that with forty-five minutes of just laying out, just read, taking the 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 top off the box of the board game and reading off the rules and making sure everybody around the table understands what happens when you pass by go and what the rules are for this, that, and the other. So that that kind of limits how great a movie it could be. I did like the second Batman movie because they really. I, I felt as though there was a real purpose to it, in which. In, there's there's a natural consequence to me there was a natural consequence to what bruce wayne went through for the first movie and the, that that consequence was am i just going to single-handedly solve all the problems in gotham and because batman is, is fighting punks gotham will be fine no i have to take a larger pro larger stance basically a, a more holistic stance towards fixing everything and also realizing that the fact that i'm here dressed as a bat which was my own little psychosis to begin with, is in, is in itself creating brand new problems in the, in the form of a brand new higher class of psychotic <laughs> who will set fire to $60 million just to make the point that he doesn't give a damn about the $60 million. It really is about just being randomly, ra- randomly, randomly sick against, against the population. Once the third Nolan movie is out, we should do, a, uh, we should do an episode about the, the, the three movies because we've beaten... We did a superhero movie episode where we beat it, beat on it a little bit, but yeah. I don't want to get too far afield here. This is not the Christopher Nolan. I will just I will, I will just say that, that that will be one hell of an achievement if he can do three or in. Or, I'm sorry, I should I should limit this to my own personal perspective. I don't think I've ever seen there 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 are very few movies movie series where one two three all great movies they don't lose it by the third movie. Oh, Spider Man three. Well, and to, to to interject on that point and bring it back a, a little bit, I I'm very interested by the fact that you know the Nolan approach is to say it's done right and sure Warner Brothers will reboot it because inevitably they will. But from an artistic point of view, you know to say I'm gonna you know basically tell this story. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, um, and that's unusual. In, in I think superhero fran- in any sort of franchise movie to a large extent, but especially in superhero movies because you know coming from a background where we have titles that have lasted you know fifty or sixty years, right? Um, stuff doesn't end. Uh, there always needs to be, and that's the trap that Spider-Man fell into. You know, the, in terms of we need to keep outdoing ourselves and keep having bigger and better things. And in some ways, the Avengers is the pinnacle of that, right? It's the 
It's the not just we're going to take a whole bunch of movies about a character and, you know, make them more and more spectacular every time. It's we're going to take, you know, movies about six different characters and make them even more spectacular. So, you know, the problem here really becomes in some ways it's like a superhero arms race, you know, where you've got, well, now we have to see Thor 2 and Captain America 2 and then the Avengers 2 has to build on that. And it's like at a certain point, you just can't sustain the weight. An arms race that has a billion dollars now. That's scary as hell. Right, and so to have to say, you know, again, to sort of come full circle, and when we were talking earlier about expectations, you know, there we do have a lot of expectations for good or for ill about the fact that you know we've seen how superhero movies tend to progress in franchises where they feel like we have to keep outdoing the last installment, and I think you know Nolan has done for the most part a good job of proving that you don't necessarily have to do that. Although you know, as we could say, there is the argument that the the Dark Knight is overloaded in some ways, um, but you know, the Avengers did a fairly good job of this saying like, hey, we can we can bring all these things together and, and turn this into a franchise movie that doesn't necessarily have to be like too utterly spectacular to the point that it collapses under its own weight. Um, I don't know. I think I think that's an interesting dilemma that superhero movies have to fend with is this idea of things just they go on forever. Right. You can't nobody dies in a superhero movie. One, one really one really big boon is that now that we have a superhero movie that has become become the number one grossing movie almost certainly will become the number one grossing movie at all time that means that a lot of other studios are going to start to take a risk on other superhero properties and so i i i, I there's so many great characters out there that that just need that 250 million dollar budget i mean fantastic four could have been a great movie particularly if you get rid of the entire origin and just start from day one page one they are a superhero team we understand that concept and just move over from there but you can't do that as a hundred million dollar movie you really have to spend the money and put it all on the screen and so i I would love to see a wonder woman movie that's actually made that they i'd like to see them actually crack that story i'd love to see a justice league movie and all these things maybe are going to happen Warner's Brothers kicking themselves now, right? Saying, wait, how come we had Superman and Batman movies? How come we didn't do this? Joss Whedon, isn't that guy we fired off of the Wonder Woman project? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Hey, didn't he bring the actress he wanted to play Wonder Woman to his Avengers? Well, Kobe Smulders is is in it, and she was one of the rumor people. But Right. She was, um, she, he stated that she was his choice. For, he was his choice. Interesting. Yeah. I, that would have been an interesting choice. So, actually, something Andy said there that I want to mention, and, 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 and as critical as I have been about The Dark Knight, um, I will say this. I feel like Christopher Nolan's movies, even even though, including Inception, actually, he makes ambitious movies. He Absolutely. he is trying lots of stuff. I, I mean, ambitious is the word I would use, right? And and if I, I feel like Joss Whedon personally, I I feel he did a good job of assembling a crowd pleasing movie out of the component parts that he was given by Marvel. Um. I wouldn't call this ambitious, right? I, I, I conceptually, in any way, I, I, I feel like this was he was given a task and he performed it admirably, better than we could have expected. It's not the same feeling as something like even The Dark Knight, where I feel which I dislike, but I felt he was very ambitious and trying. He was trying to make a fantastic motion picture. Period. To me, to me the the Batman movies feel more like drama, whereas The Avengers feels more like comedy really action like, adventure it's action adventure. yeah I, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly but i think the you know the batman movies are more you know in some ways you look at the nolan movies and I, you know i haven't seen the third one obviously but 
feels it reads kind of like a tragedy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, it really, it really is universal. The, the the Batman movies. I think that it's not necessarily it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be about the superhero comic book. It really is the sta- the standard story of here is a guy who never who had this traumatic event that has shaped his entire life. He finds himself at a crossroads where he could either this the knock on effects of this event can either absolutely and utterly destroy him, or he can turn that vengeance elsewhere into something positive. And that's just a classic movie motif that you could just articulate in so many different ways. But I, I guess uh, something just occurred to me is, is uh, maybe the, maybe the best, the fairest way for me to really talk about the Avengers is, is it's like, like that the show on the Food Network, uh, uh, Chopped, where they get a, a basket of ingredients that four different chefs have to. They don't know what's in the basket, but they see it. They have twenty minutes to make something out of it. Where the theme and ing- the ingredients in the basket were ground hamburger a roll, lettuce, tomato, and tartar sauce. And Joss Whedon made a hamburger out of that. And that's perfectly fine. And it was a perfectly good hamburger. But a guy like Christopher Nolan said, that's too obvious. Let's do something brand new that people haven't really seen before, aren't totally expecting out of this before. And they're two very good meals, but one of them just, you'll be telling people, you don't, you don't tell people about a month later, oh my God, this guy, he took ground beef and a ham and, and a hamburger roll and lettuce and tomato and made it into a hamburger. I mean, you forget about that in, in 10 minutes, right. 10 minutes later. Well, and you know, there's some interesting subjects I think that are, you know, I think there isn't some interesting topics that for like an adventures movie, I didn't, I, I haven't followed a lot of superhero comics in many years. Um, but I was intrigued by at least the premise of the civil war storyline that the Avengers happened, uh, did what was it last three or four years ago. Um, and I think that there is potentially an interesting storyline in that. Then again, I don't know if you yeah. can do it in a two, two to two and a half hour movie. But for me, especially, you know, the question for me, and maybe this is something that comes up more in in Captain America, too. But this idea of Captain America as a character who is now, you know, the man out of time and left at a point where, you know, the the whole power struggle of the world was very different. Right. Like there was this idea like. America, we're on the side of the good. We're beating up, you know, the Nazis. They're evil, unquestionably. And now all of a sudden, you know, things are much less black and white in the modern day. Um, and so, you know, I, I would really love to see a movie, either Avengers or Captain America, along those lines where there is more uh, shades of gray and more discussion about like, you know, well, what does it mean to have these superheroes together? You know, are they all on the same side? Do they really have different agendas? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I think that that could be an interesting rich vein just- there. I don't know that you have to get that serious, especially with the with the Marvel Universe. I mean, it looks like they're heading out. It, it almost seems as though, um, if, if, if what I've read is correct, um, we'll, we'll be leaving Earth uh, more, uh, you know, as things go forward, and that uh, uh, it's going to become more of a more of an interplanetary type of thing. And, and, it, and hell, that worked great for Green Lantern. Well, maybe they'll maybe they'll get it right. Maybe they won't. I mean, you know, the the last or the, uh, the you know the credit scene with uh, the the appearance of Thanos. I had to look him up, by the way. I had forgotten yes, him. Um, but maybe maybe that's the way it's headed. And maybe you know, I mean, how do you? I, I give them a certain amount of credit for trying to make some of these things plausible for the big screen in ways that they. You could simply take, uh, you know, you know, take as they came at you in on the pages of of a comic book. I mean, how how do you do, um, how do you do the Mandarin? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, I guess we're going to find out in Iron Man three somehow. 
But more importantly, how do you do the Mandarin without seriously cheesing off the Chinese film? <laughs> yeah, right. well, that's right. And, and casting Ben Kingsley, presumably. It's a matter of Mandarin <laughs> for the modern era. The new Mandarin. He's a Mandarin orange. He's an orange magnate who's trying to take over the world's supply of oranges. Here, here's our, here's our dossier on the Mandarin. He, re- he renounced his natural citizenship and the citizenship of every other nation in the world. <laughs> and had cosmetic surgery so he doesn't look like he's from anyone ethnic. He, he did that because he had a lot of Facebook stock. hey <laughs> Topical reference. Um, Take uh, actually, multi-billionaire. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to mention also that, uh, and I, I think this came up in a previous podcast, one of the things, I, I while re-watching Captain America, actually with my kids the other week, um, I was sad... I, as I was when I saw it the first time, that because of the Avengers and because this movie was coming, they they do the story where he f- is frozen and thaws out in the present day, which is a perfectly interesting story to tell, except I, I felt like they really missed the opportunity to tell more stories in the past with the uh, Howling Commandos, which we see only briefly. Yeah, and that's in a, in a montage, which is among the flawed moments of that film but yeah and, and um i was actually thinking that it would be nice if they made a captain america 2 um obviously they're gonna have to deal with him in the present day because of the avengers i i'm actually kind of hoping that they might do a little uh back and forth kind of thing where they can flash back into world war ii because i really thought that was some of the you know that, w- that that was some really big potential stuff in that movie and and they they had to blow through it because they had to get to the point where they get him waking up with in Times square with uh with nick fury and his eye patch, and I thought that was unfortunate. So that's another thing I guess I can blame the Avengers for. Really thought you were going to say Nick Fury and his iPad. And Nick Fury's just there. He's playing Angry Birds, you know. <laughs> Nick Fury. He he. Well, the entire the entire helicarrier is probably just run from an iPad. Well, they play Galaga. <laughs> they that they He's do. Got, they got illegal mame roms. That's that's how, they do. that's how rogue they've gone. <laughs> but I, I'll be I, I'll be very impressed if they can make Captain America work. I didn't think that the character worked in the first movie. I didn't think he really worked in the second movie. I think that it's possible that, and this this could be just my own perspective, but I don't think that the, even when they redesign the Captain America costume the second time, he still just looks like oh that just looks so weird and so totally not like anything that anybody would design for anybody to actually wear and i know yeah. they, they justified it a little bit by making it designed by a big fanboy of, of captain america who would never deviate from the the world war ii bond poster in any way but it's like yeah you what, what you really need to what you really need to communicate about captain america is that he is really he really is on some level right about everything and you may disagree with it and it may be very inconvenient but he's right about almost everything and the fact that he has that kind of credibility is the reason why at least in the comic books the norse god of thunder will happily take orders from him and that's not something that you can really turn in about an hour's worth of movie development that really is something that took decades of different stories to really develop that credibility so i'll be really impressed if anybody can really make captain america work on on the screen yeah because a problem in the marvel universe uh not that i know much about it beyond this movie but can you can you really have a coherent story with these people in it that's not kind of a jokey Joss Whedon kind of sarcastic comment thing? Because there's there's actually no way you could do a serious take on this because their their powers don't no, line ridiculous. up in any sort of reasonable yeah. grid. And so you, 
I, I, I was really hope I was really hoping that they would. I mean, I was really hoping that they would find an excuse for to for why Hawkeye really makes sense in this movie. Why why would somebody choose a bow movie. and arrow? And, <laughs> and I, I was thinking. I was and I was as as I was thinking about it, saying, well, maybe the way that you do it is you say that he's not necessarily there to shoot someone with a bow and arrow. He's like sort of a tactician. But on the on that point. Security scanners are looking for firearms and bullets. They aren't looking for pieces of wood and string. So maybe that's why he chose that weapon. He became really good at it. But yeah, it does come down to seriously. At, at, at what point when, when S.H.I.E.L.D. is monitoring this huge fight for the survival of Earth, when they see, wow, Hawkeye fired an arrow at that little <laughs> ship and it exploded. Don't we have like a jillion advanced tactical fighters on this. Why don't we just send some of those fighters down there? Because it seems like they, they these guys are really easy to kill, like a bow and an arrow and, you know... Well, they were exploding tip, but like even when you just have like Iron Man versus Thor, how are you going to get like a demigod versus a guy in a robot suit? Like, it doesn't... And then the people who have no powers, you can't put them all in the same movie and then make them fight each other. Like, why would they even... Why would you allow the defenseless woman in the skin-tight suit to be even on that battlefield? Oh, she's got a handgun. She'll be fine. She's magic, right? You I mean you brought this up before. I love the bit where she was just, oh, look, there's a loaf. There's a there's an alien like little like you know jet ski flying. I know I'll jump from this rooftop and just grab onto it and then oh good heavens yeah, yeah I mean you I mean, can't fly you know there, like, there are ways there there are ways to solve these problems either he either Whedon did not find these solutions or didn't care to find these solutions. I, I, I think the characters themselves like their powers like you can't. It's like having Batman and Superman in a movie together unless Batman unless everything Batman owns is made of kryptonite that movie is over. Well, but, okay. For, first of all, a Batman Superman movie would be effing awesome okay <laughs> effing awesome because you better you'd better believe that one of batman's most strongest qualities is that he has thought about everything and he's eating kryptonite for his breakfast cereal <laughs> no, so, some somewhere in the bat cave he has a solution for getting rid of superman if need be and that's 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 why the big rich but I, I i love i did like the fact that getting back to the avengers they at least found a way to say here's why hawkeye is an asset to shield not because he's the bow and arrow guy but he's the guy that you put in the helicopter to observe the battle and see the patterns of battle that are happening saying okay we really need to move our forces right here because that guy that platoon over there is swinging in over over 43rd street if we get two guys with the appropriate weapons at an at an elevated position on this corner we can take them up before they can invade to this place but they didn't really stick with that they just simply said <laughs> guy you got 33 arrows remember you can't fire more than 33 of these before you have to go back to the joke shop for more arrows <laughs> Okay, so so we're running out of time, but before we go, I have one more um, a topic which I wanted to bring up, which is there there are a couple things in this movie that I found odd for a summer blockbuster. Um, uh, we have the fact that um, Shield is using the Cosmic Cube technology to build weapons like the Red Skull built in Captain America, and. Therefore, and the heroes find this out and they're very angry at Nick Fury. And Nick Fury basically kind of like goes away for the rest of the movie because they're mad at him because he's using these cosmic powers that shouldn't be meddled with to build lots of weapons for his tactical, you know, level two or whatever it is, tactical squad. And then separate from that, there's also the shadowy group of of silhouetted world leader figure type conspirators who who make decisions like let's send a nuclear missile into the middle of Manhattan 
and I found these I found these kind of odd choices that they're that in the midst of this summer blockbuster there's like a at least a hand wave that's like oh the you know the 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 the, the military industrial government shadowy conspiracy complex they're bad they're very bad it just it just seemed totally am I the Jason only one they, it seemed very Jason strange they are to me. bad well yes but it's just it's sort of bizarre what was it i mean well, i'm not even well, sure they it was... had the they had the big screens and so once you've got those six big screens like well i guess we have a, we have an international conspiracy here. what are we gonna do with these big screens yeah because if they were yeah, all on it's like all dictated on, by the it purchasing department yeah if they were all on iphone screens it's not it's not menacing they were gonna they were only gonna be five members of the conspiracy but they had the extra screen so they brought in an extra guy yeah those are those are my favorite characters in the movie do you remember those guys in the screen boy what great characters Silhouette one, silhouette two, silhouette <laughs> yeah. female. I mean, I think I think that goes towards making making Nick Fury more ambiguous. Like he's not just totally the guy. He's willing to manipulate them with pretending he found the cards on the body, and like it makes him at least have some interest. Otherwise, otherwise he yeah. becomes uh, broils from Fringe, where he's like, "Why the heck is he even there?" Yeah, just to keep give me orders, informed. You know? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Well, I'll allow it this time, but you know, <laughs> at least Nick Fury has yeah. has one tiny. He has one characteristic. <laughs> That actually could possibly make him a character, and that he's will is that he's willing to do whatever it takes to manipulate these people into it right. ends that they don't even you know. But that I mean, again, he gets his his five minutes of character development in the movie, and then they move on. Yeah, yeah. I just I just thought it was strange that in the midst of the superhero action, t- that we get the shadowy government figures who decide that they're going to bomb Manhattan with a. Nuclear well, we know missile. it's not going to happen because all our heroes. Yeah, are it's there. just odd that it was even there. I well, just I wish that odd. it was. It's an okay element. I just wish they'd clarify. As, as usual, he just Whedon just did not want to define anything and really settle on anything. It makes sense if, if especially if you're going to be using Shield in the future. It makes sense to sort of establish here is what Shield actually is. They are not a law unto themselves. They're not a bunch of rogues, you know, financed by I don't know tungsten mined from alien uh, alien slave camps. Or the they are actual. There, there, there's there is some sort of a joint uh, joint uh, decision of of the will of, the, of of world governments say we need a way to sort of combat threats that we can't directly go through uh, through our individual like UN sort of stuff. So that, that I, I sort of inferred that that's what was going, that there's some sort of an advisory council that has to approve what S.H.I.E.L.D. does, even though Fury has a whole bunch of uh, autonomy. But as, as we're saying about an hour ago, there's so much that we just have to fill in. It, 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 this, is, this is the Mad Lib script where there's like, here's a line that we have to pick a verb to describe exactly what's happening to sort of settle it in our minds. And we sort of would hope that the screenwriter would have written that down for us. Well, I think, you know, you know everything you need to know with the fact that, you know, it's one of those guys is Powers Booth. <laughs> so it's got to be, it's got to be bad. Sinister. Here, so here's the thing. If you are the member of a committee of some sort that that has international security ramifications, you have a choice. The guy when when they're prepping your your um your camera setup to have your screen on the helicarrier, they say, "Would you like to be lit from the front or the back?" If you choose the back, that's a bad sign. No, choose that's, choose, choose neither. That's a bad sign. That's like that's like saying we picked a logo for our organization and it's a skull. Just <laughs> no, no, bad idea. Let's not blame them. It's probably Skype doing some sort of auto exposure and screwing it up. I just assumed it was a Google Hangout. It is. It is. It's Nick Fury's Google Hangout. 
the most the most sinister Google Hangout. They're accidentally broadcasting it live too. Is the worst part. Wait, wait. Is this is this? Are we on the internet? We're on the internet now. Oh, uh, crap. Yep. Screen we number five. Too. Chat roulette. <laughs> Guy in the pink mask who's naked from the waist yeah. down. What do you think we should do about these aliens? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and you can just stop doing that right now yourself. Scarlet Witch, is that you? <laughs> put no your, more sequels. Take your mask off and put your top back on. Okay. So we are going to close. that. This was very interesting, but we are going to end it here. Uh, I, I want to thank my panel of superheroes uh, who have come uh, so far to talk about this fascinating and successful and yet, uh, you know, divisive ooh, <laughs> movie. Um, first off, the, you you heard him, you you saw him as a mild mannered scientist, and then he did indeed become, as predicted, a green rage monster. Andy Anatko, thank you for being here. I think we agreed that I was Charles Emerson Winchester, the person with superior surgical skills who somehow seems aloof because of his inability to really connect with people. I reject this idea that I'm the Hulk, especially a franchise. If you're gonna if you're gonna give me a franchise, you're gonna be the franchise that failed twice and is going a, a third uh, a third failed reboot. I reject this categorically. Andy Smash. Again, right. this is your comment and not mine. I'm being, that's, that's as right. as with my comments about. The I'm trying movie, to make him angry, I'm but being he's not flat and, and rational, and you're being emotional. And he's not. Uh, no, now he's turning into Mr. Spock. Doctor Strange, more like it. it it's fair. Ooh, ooh. It, I'll tell. I'll take Doctor Strange. Okay, good. I'll, I will. I will take Doctor Strange. Thank you very much. That was our Iron Man, Ben Boychuk. Thank you, Ben, for being here. A pleasure as always. Uh, Dan Morin, who did you want to be? I, well, you know what? I've decided to switch. I think can I can I be Coulson? If you're going to be Fury, I think I should be Coulson. That might also mean I've got shot halfway. <laughs> this is your podcast. last podcast. Yes, Dan <laughs> will never be back. At least we're all choosing to be male characters. I would have creeped just, me out. Like, just... Can I be the Enchantress? Okay, so my so Dan Warren, my very own agent Colson, it was nice knowing you. It's a shame you were a week away from retirement. Thanks for being so here. Close. At least I got to shoot Loki in the head. Pleasure being here, Jason. And f- who am I leaving out? Why it's John Syracusa. Who I don't even know who you are. I think I ended up actually picking Scarlett Johansson's character whose name I can't remember the because Black she was Widow. so forgettable. The Our Black own Widow. Black Widow, John <laughs> yeah. Syracusa. That's me. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for no- thanks for being the sidekick to Captain Bringdown instead of being Captain Bringdown. It was new and different and interesting. We're not bringing it down. We're keeping it real. You're keeping it real. Excellent. Now, now Jason, Excellent there's, point. A, there's a car waiting outside that will take you to a facility that can help you with this Joss Whedon problem, but it will only take you there if you yourself agree that this Joss Whedon first fixation is starting to destroy your life and the lives of those around you. And this is the time for me to ask you, yes or no, Will you get into that car, Jason? Andy, I, I I feel I don't need to get in the car because the beautiful thing about the podcast as therapy, wait for my book on podcast as therapy will be out uh, next spring. Uh, once the podcast is done and the recording session ends, I will awake refreshed and <laughs> will not remember anything about this and will be completely healed. Like this was a beautiful dream. Exactly. <laughs> I can quit any time I like. <laughs> That's right. Podcasts are what keep me sane. I can't watch you Netflix another season of Dollhouse. I can't watch you do this oh. to yourself. Oh, here's a pro tip. Don't watch any 
seasons of Dollhouse. Anyway, I'm going to make the Joss Whedon fans angry then, but that's okay. They wouldn't like me when I'm angry, or okay. I wouldn't like them when they're... I, I've lost that. Anyway. So they're cut brown coats over their heads. We can't see you. We can't hear you. La, 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 la. So thank you all for being here, and thanks for this great discussion of the Avengers. And until our next episode of The Incomparable, thanks, listeners, for tuning in. I'm Jason Snell. See you next time. Bye.